Father, I thank you so much for the blessing of today. And not just this day as a day like any other, but Father, for this time once again when we can gather as family and center ourselves around your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, what a blessing it is to me. I, it's, there's, there's too much time between Sundays and Wednesdays, in my opinion. Um, and I, I just I enjoy this so much. Father, I, I enjoy just seeing our family together and worshiping together and fellowshipping. And I, I long for more. I guess, Lord, that's why we're all waiting for heaven. Because we know there will be that time when we can fellowship 24-7. When time will not be of any consequence. When we can fellowship and worship and be together before you and in intimacy like we cannot experience here. But until that time, Father, these times are blessings to us. Thank you so much. Thank you for your wisdom in designing the church the way you designed it. Help us, Lord, to try to be that way. To keep it simple and, and pure and not to stack up load upon load of things that we have to accomplish to be a certain way. Help us just to be the people, the peculiar people you've called us to be. Father, this morning as, as we continue in our time of worship, we open your word because we want to seek to know you better and we want to be touched by you and have experience of your presence. And we know that we can find you in your word. We can find your spirit speaking to us and teaching us as we open these pages. And God, again, the blessing continues. And I pray this morning as we look at the second of your ten words, your ten commands, that we would see, that, see it in a new light and that, Father, it would impact us where we are today. That it would affect our thinking and change us and conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 4. While you're flipping there, let me do a quick review. What is the first commandment? No other gods. Alright, let's say it all together. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other God before me. It's my intention that if nothing else happens in this 10 to 11 week process, by the end you will be able to just quote straight down the Ten Commandments because most people in America can't. As a matter of fact, most people in the church can't. Well, we can get five or six or seven, but to, to be able to list out, to go through the Ten Commandments and, and say, yeah, this is God's Word, this is, these are God's commands, most people can't. And it's stunning because, as we've said before, these commands are not just Jewish law. Jewish law picks up in chapters 21, 22, 23, and on into the book of Leviticus and some in Deuteronomy. Jew Jewish law is long and it's complex and it is designed to show man one thing, that he can't keep God's perfect law. The Ten Commands, however, also referred to as the Ten Words, the Ten Words have application across time from one people group to another, not limited only to Israel, but to all who would seek to follow the Lord. And the first commandment again is, You shall have no other gods before me. The second command, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, literally of generations, thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. A little girl was sitting in her kitchen drawing a picture at the kitchen table. And her father walked in the room and said, Honey, what are you drawing there? And she said, Dad, don't bother me. I'm drawing a picture of God. And her dad smiled and said, Well, sweetheart, nobody knows what God looks like. And she put down the crown and said, They will in a minute. As soon as I'm done, Dad. This, this is one of the big questions. It's one of the big questions that we all have and have always had. What does God look like? What truly is the image of God? The Bible says no man has seen God. So how do we know what God looks like? But in our desire, gang, to know the image of our Creator, we've come up with all kinds of ways to get a sense of what God looks like. And most of them, all of them, I would say, are fallible mistakes. Graven mistakes, if you will. Think about it this way. Native Americans looked to the heavens above and they saw the majestic eagle flying. Wings spread wide in the blue sky. And so many of their totems boast the head of an eagle at the top of the pole as a symbol of God. Ancient Egyptians, they looked at the earth below and they saw cows. Cows standing in the fields, giving milk graciously and plentifully to their young. And so they worshipped God in the form of a calf. Polynesian cultures looked in the water underneath the earth and were impressed by the longevity and power of sea turtles. And so they took images of sea turtles and looked at that as God, worshipped them as God. Tangible, touchable, visible representations of God. Not idols, not other gods. We talked about the other gods last week. Gods like Baal and Mammon and Molech. These other gods that people worship. That's not what the second commandment is dealing with, by the way. It's dealing with images, representations of the one true God. It's taking earthly things or things of the heavens or things of the sea and, and making it into a representation that says, this will help me focus on God better. It's interesting as we, we read this, the Lord says you shall not make for yourself any idol. Some of your Bibles say a graven image. The two words there in the Hebrew are pesel selim. And they literally mean a carved shadow. You shall not make for yourselves a carved shadow. Something that represents but does a poor job at that. And again, here is the difference between the first two commandments. The first commandment deals with who we are to worship. The second commandment deals with how we are to worship. How we are to worship. Who we are to worship, you shall have no other gods before me. How we are to worship, you shall not make for yourselves carved shadows. Or you could put it this way. The first commandment prohibits worshiping false gods. The second commandment prohibits worshiping God falsely. And that's the difference. People have come to these two commands and, and actually some have melded them into one. It's just the same command. No, it's not. Two very distinctive, very different commands. God says there is to be no representation of deity. Did you know it's possible to keep the first commandment and fail miserably at the second to violate the second. Jehu did it. King Jehu. 
You can read the story in 2 Kings chapter 10. Jehu becomes king over Israel and he determines that he is going to eradicate Baal worship from Israel. You know what he does? He was a crafty king and he invited all the worshippers of Baal to a grand celebration in the temple of Baal. And they came from all over Israel because the king was pronouncing a celebration to Baal. They came into this temple and he packed them in. Unbeknownst to them, he had 80 of his soldiers that he had stationed around outside the temple. And once everybody was in and he made sure, he said, see among yourselves, make sure no one's missing. We want all the worshippers of Baal to be here in Baal's temple. Once they were all there, he instructed his 80 soldiers to enter the temple and slaughter every last one of them. He tore down the statues of Baal. He literally was the king over Israel who eradicated Baal worship. He was focused on that first commandment. Good job, Jehu. But there's a problem. 2 Kings chapter 10 tells us in verse 28, Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. However... It's amazing how often you run across that phrase among the kings of Israel. However, he did a lot of great stuff. However, as far as the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, in which he made Israel sin, from these Jehu did not depart. Even the golden calves that were at Bethel and that were at Dan. He didn't get rid of the golden calves. He got rid of Baal. But he left the golden calves. Why? What's the deal here, Jehu? Listen, gang, we're going to get to Exodus chapter 32 when the Israelites construct a golden calf. But I want you to understand something. They did not construct a calf to worship a different God. I believe they constructed the calf to worship the one true God as a representation of God. Something to look at, to focus on. An aid to worship so that they could see this this calf, this, this golden beautiful thing and focus then, think about God. But he says, you shall have no images in the heavens above, on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Don't take any images and say, I'm going to look at this and help use it to help me think about God. I will take this image and it will now become my way of focusing on the one true God. That was the issue with Jehu. He got rid of Baal, the false god, but he continued to allow and encourage Israel to worship falsely. They were worshiping this golden calf and that was what was happening, what will happen in Exodus 32. When Moses is up on the mountain, the people down below decide we need to be able to see God better. We need something that's going to focus our worship and so they constructed the golden calf and began worshiping falsely. And why is that dangerous? Because, gang, when people begin wrong in their worship, they end wrong in their lives. If our worship is skewed, if our worship is obstructed, if our worship doesn't quite get us to God, what hope do we have the rest of the week? What hope do we have in our lives when our worship can't quite see God for who He is, but instead sees a carved shadow, a representation an image. So in the second commandment, God addresses the use of physical forms to aid in the worship of God, which, by the way, has been a struggle for the church for 2,000 years, hasn't it? Worship aids. Things that we can look at, beautiful things that help us focus on the image of God. Carvings, statues, stained glass, images, pictures. And whether or not you've ever been in a church that has those up, you still, you know what I'm talking about. Things that we used to look at. How many of you saw the passion of the Christ? Now let me ask you this. Praying to Jesus within the weeks following that meeting, did you see Jesus in your heart or Jim Caviezel? 
What was the image that was set up before you? And as wonderful as that movie was to move us and, and express and portray to us this picture, this image of what Jesus did, still that, that image of, of the actor. For years I, I watched and showed in youth groups the, the movie Jesus. And the actor in the movie Jesus, when I prayed, was the face that I saw. A carved shadow. A weak representation. Not truly the one true God. Some would say a statue or picture or icon of Jesus or a stained glass worship image is not a problem. It just helps focus. In fact, due to illiteracy in the Dark Ages and other reasons, the Catholic Church began to use and utilize representations of biblical characters and stories. People couldn't read, so they would have stories that were in the stained glass. And the illiterate could come in and look at the stained glass and somehow learn about God. And the great Christian philosopher Thomas Aquinas stated, People are more easily moved by what they see than by what they hear or what they read. In other words, what you see with your eyes, you can grasp a whole lot more in a moment than you can grasp in a whole hour, hour and a half of Bible study. And my friends, that's just not true. It's not right. According to God, he says, My word which goes forth from my mouth, Isaiah 55.11, will not return to me empty. Without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And so John Calvin, among the reformers, he came back and said, Because God does not speak to us every day from the heavens, there are only the scriptures in which he has willed that his truth shall be published. It's not to say that God doesn't speak to us. It's not to say that He doesn't speak to our hearts and lead us by His Holy Spirit. But when it comes to worship and understanding the truths, we have before us His Word, a way to see God that is vastly more powerful than the insignificant moment of looking at a statue or a picture. That's why the Bible must be central not only to our study but to our worship. Do you realize right now we have continued worshiping? Worship is not over. It didn't stop with the last notes uh, strung on the guitar. It doesn't stop even with, with wandering out of here. As we're in the Word, we continue to worship God. And His desire for us, by the way, is that we would worship Him moment by moment, day by day, in our week. From Sunday to Wednesday, back to Sunday, the in-between times that the worship would not be limited to what happens in 20 minutes of music, but would continue on. Every time you open His Word, you are worshiping. Every time you bow in prayer, you are worshiping. And God calls us to lives of worship. It's not that we worship the Bible, by the way, but it's that the Bible declares the one we worship. Which is why we keep coming back to it. Think about this. What was the centerpiece of the Jewish temple? What was the one thing that was most important in the Jewish temple, centered all other things, focused down ultimately to this one item? Do you know what it was? Go ahead and answer Mm-hmm. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. In the Holy of Holies. What was in the Ark? The Ten Commandments. There was no picture, no representation. Oh, on top of the Ark there were two cherubim and a place called the Mercy Seat, but no representation of God in His entire temple. The whole temple contained nothing that was supposed to be an image or picture of God. Nothing at all. What it did contain was the ark and the stone tablets and the very law we're studying, the ten words of God. That was in the center of the temple, but there were no pictures or images in Solomon's temple. 
Not a single one. How vastly different than the pagan temples of the day that were full of images. Things to look at, to draw your eyes to, to focus on in your worship. And God says, you shall have no carved images. No carved shadows. Make no representation of me. Why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, carved shadows cannot rightly represent God. It doesn't matter how fine the craftsmanship, how beautiful the picture, they cannot rightly represent God. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 18. God says, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? The Egyptians fought a calf. And Israel followed suit, a cow. There's a great likeness of God because she gives milk freely, even graciously, but gain eventually with the cow. The milk will run dry. Not so with the Father, who graciously feeds and nurtures and cares eternally. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Imagine that for a moment. Is it possible that a woman who is breastfeeding her child could forget that the child was there? There were times when our children were were infants and I would go and get Corey out of his crib and carry him in in the middle of the night stumbling around and hand him to Cheryl and she would feed him and we would both fall sound asleep. Can a woman forget the nursing child? Yes, she can. (laughs) After about two months of no sleep, she'll forget everything. And God says, though that is possible, I will not forget you. Let that settle in your heart. No, even a mother who loves her child with all that she is might momentarily forget that child. I will not forget you. The eagle may be a proud, majestic bird, but it also is a card-carrying member of the vulture family. It's a predator that feeds on the defenseless or the weak or the sick. And God is not like the eagle. Psalm 147, verse 2, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He doesn't pick on the weak. The Bible also says, A bruised reed he shall not break. With all the power and grandeur and wonder of all eternity in his grasp, he is tender and gentle. He is not like the eagle, not like the cow. He's certainly not like the sea turtle. Now, the sea turtle may live long. The sea turtle may have great longevity and strength, but it is another inappropriate comparison to God because God cannot be caught and cooked in a pot and served up however we want him to be. Not made in a way that that will taste him to our liking. Psalm 93 verse 2 says, "Your, Your throne was established long ago. You are from eternity. Oh, the sea turtle may live long, but not like God. There are no right representations of God in the heavens above, on the earth or in the water beneath. Nothing can represent him, and neither can you and I. Even human representations fall woefully short of who God is. Well, car shadows cannot rightly represent God. But car shadows, number two, also cannot respond to you. They can't respond to you. I read this several years ago, Max Lucado's book, uh, Six Hours, One Friday. He wrote of an encounter with the real Jesus. Not the real Jesus, the real Jesus. 
the big statue in Rio with arms outstretched. And he said when he first saw the statue, he was really impressed. What a carving. And he stood at the foot of the mountain where the Rio Jesus stands tall and, and was absolutely amazed. But he said he noticed a couple of things that were odd that really struck him. First of all, when he looked at the eyes, they were hollow. There were no pupils. Now on a carving and engraving that big, of course you wouldn't you know, take the time to put little pupils. But Max said, I realized that this statue was blind. I couldn't see. And he noticed also, right in the area of the heart, a little heart shape was carved, is carved, on this statue of Jesus. And he said, that's amazing, he has a heart of stone. A stony heart and blind eyes and outstretched arms that cannot pick you up. Cannot respond to you in any way. Turn your Bibles over to Psalm 115. Psalms 115, where God's Word describes this even more beautifully. That the carved shadows that we may try to erect in this world, gang, they have blind eyes, stony hearts, frozen arms. And the Lord puts it this way. Psalm 115, beginning in verse 1. Give you a moment to get there. It's a great one to highlight and underline and make marks on. Phenomenal psalm. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. Hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Wow. Everyone who trusts in them. Oh Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. And will bless those who fear the Lord, the small, together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Hence, idols that are made to those who have died. Verse 18, but as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. Car shadows cannot respond to you. Whether they be shadows of, of animals or creatures, or even shadows of men, saints who have gone before, standing in carved array in temples made by human hands, they cannot rightly represent God, and they cannot respond to you. Well, this being the case, how can we know what God looks like? How can we understand what He acts like or is really like in person? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? It's called the Incarnation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 tells us He is the image of the invisible God. 
1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. We're talking about Jesus who became, in the flesh, God among us, Emmanuel. We spent a couple of weeks over Christmas and on into the New Year talking about the deity of Christ. But I want you to see the other side of the proverbial coin. Not only is Jesus God, but God is Jesus. Not only is Jesus the representation of God... But God is Jesus in flesh among us. And when we look to Jesus, not Jim Caviezel, not any other actors who have played Jesus in Hollywood, but when we look to the true Jesus as revealed in Scripture, we see the character, the image of God. We see God as He wants to be seen, the true image of the Father. And that image is not just a carved fleshly shadow of the real God. Colossians 2.9 tells us, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And Hebrews 1.3 tells us, He is the radiance of His glory, and listen to this, the exact representation of His nature. And upholds all things by the word of His power. This phrase, exact representation, it's the Greek word, character. Character. He is the character of God. Everything about Jesus that you read or see or understand, if you want to see the true image of God, it is in Jesus seen clearly. He is in flesh in Jesus Christ. And that's what Christianity is all about. Not making God in our image, but understanding the image of God, seeing the image of God in Christ Jesus. But you know, there's something interesting about Jesus. Even though uh, throughout the entire story of the Incarnation, we see and learn so much about Jesus. Even though as a historical character, we know as much about Him as just about anybody else, there's something we do not know about Jesus. And that is what He looked like. God left it out of the biblical record. We do not have a physical description of Jesus. Well, the Bible tells us a couple of things. Luke 2.52 tells us Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature. Oh, so he was a tall man. No, actually the word stature has nothing to do with physical. It's the the reputation that Jesus had. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, Luke 2.52. Isaiah 53 verse 2 tells us one more thing about Jesus. That he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. And that's it. That's all we have about what Jesus looked like. All we know is that he was not special in appearance. Now think about what would happen if Jesus was described in the scriptures as six foot one, receding hairline, brown eyes, scars on his lip. We would all know what Jesus looked like. And some would be terrified. If Jesus was described in such a way that when you looked in the mirror you thought, wow, you know what? With a nose job, I could look just like him. And we laugh, but you know what? That's exactly what we do because we are so focused on image. 
and God knows this about our humanity, about our flesh, we, we gravitate toward image, toward look, toward the physical. And so God ordains that no one's going to have a clue what my son looked like after he leaves earth. It will not be written down. It will not be listed. Because you know what we would do? We would begin to make paintings. We already have made all kinds of paintings of Jesus to hang in our churches and we begin to worship the representation instead of the God. And that's the issue here with the second commandment. Don't get into the representation. Avoid the images. I want you to know me, God says. I want this relationship to be unobstructed by other things. And so Jesus said in John 4.22, speaking with a Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will do what? They will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the God seeks to be worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit. That is with the guiding, the leading of His Holy Spirit and in truth. That is His word. Spirit and truth. God is always, always trying to redirect us from the physical to the spiritual. Now listen, let's bring this all home here. You may not have a problem with this commandment on the surface. You may not have an issue with worship aids. You may worship in a barn where there's really nothing that represents very well. We have a little cross up there, but there is no physical representation or idol in this barn. No graven image, no carved shadow. No problem, right? Good, let's move on to the third commandment. Whoa, slow down there, Turbo. Here's the big idea. Image is everything. Image is everything. How many of you saw the Grammys? No, don't raise your hand. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. But I was watching the uh, E! channel. I'm kind of flipping through, and they were doing the red carpet stuff. And they always wear the weirdest stuff. And so as I was watching this, about a week, it was last Sunday, the question on the red carpet stunned me. I mean, literally, I stopped for a minute and thought, that's weird. The people who were interviewing kept going up to stars, it was Joan Rivers and her daughter, and they kept going up to stars and asking them a question. But they weren't asking, what are you wearing? They were asking, who are you wearing? I thought, how bizarre is that? What if they really were wearing a who? I mean, that would really stun people at the Grammys if someone walked in there wearing a person. You know, someone just hanging around them. That would be very strange. But the answers were, you know the answers, Armani, Gucci, Versace, Pocasha, all kinds of guys who are designers. It's the right question to ask, though. Even though the motive is wrong, even though the understanding is extremely messed up, it is the right question, wrong focus. What is the question again? Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? You know, Satan throws out every image he possibly can to conjure up one reason alone to misdirect us from the true image of God. And it happens all over our world. John Corson made this comment. He said, we're the first nation in history to be walking billboards. We walk around advertising everything under the sun. Gap. I've got a couple of pretty cool Gap sweatshirts myself. Sorry, I digress. Image is everything in our culture. It matters so much to us. And I, I thought about this. I thought, now, does image really matter to me? Does it really, am I really focused on image? And I realized a couple of years ago, I bought a Ford Focus, a little red car. 
And the reason I bought it, I went to the car dealership because the car I had at the time was falling apart. You know when the rainy season comes and it's joining you in the car that it's probably time to do something about it. So I went to the dealership and I, I found out about what they call a lost leader. It's a car that is, that is a sale car. It's the one they use to get you on the lot and then they try and bait and hook you with some other more expensive car. But I held my ground and I just went for the car that was on, on ad that day. And I got a great price on it, and I didn't know anything about it. I'd done no research. This is the way I do things. Now, Jeff D'Angelo, on the other hand, will spend about four years looking for a car. I will just show up at the lot and go, well, let's go buy that one right there. Okay? <laughs> so I did that. I'm driving home my little Ford Focus, and that's cool. This will get me around town. It's warm. There's no water coming in. I was pleased. Two months later, Sydney Bristow, on the show Alias, was driving a Ford Focus. <laughs> And suddenly, when I got into that car, my whole demeanor changed. I'm not kidding. I'm driving my car going, yeah, I got a Ford Focus. Just like on Alias. I can spin around like that, too. I'm not going to. But I can. Image. Suddenly, I'm caught up in this whole look. I had to buy the sunglasses, so, you know, I'm driving the Ford Focus. Focus. Image is everything, and we all get caught, trapped by image. But here's the deal, and this is why it's so seductive and so insidious and so dangerous, and I will even say so damning in our world. God has a clear image in mind for us. Satan wants to distract us from every kind of focus on God he can. All the images he can throw in front of us to pull us away from worshiping the image of the one true God. But God has an image in mind for you and for me. This is it. Genesis 1.26 on the sixth day of creation. As God created man, he said, let us make man in our image. Let's make man in our likeness. God created man in his own image, verse 27 tells us. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And why do we care what other images are out there? Why do we work so hard in this world to wear the right jeans or the right t-shirts or have the right look or drive the right car or build the correct home? Why do we care so much about all these other images? God says, I have an image for you. It's my image. I want you to be in my image. Who are you wearing? I want you to wear me. I want you to look like me. Act like me. Think like me. And if that's not enough to impress you with God's eternal heart for His creation, listen to this. Romans 8, 29. Paul says, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. You see, God created us in His image, but we sinned. We blew it big time. Not just Adam and Eve, but every one of us. And we blew the image. We destroyed that image of God that we were created with so beautifully, so wonderfully. We turned it into something ugly and fleshly and worldly. And so God says, but i got a second plan in mind here. I'm going to bring you back to my image. Back to what you were created to be. Back through Jesus. That you might be conformed into the image of Him. And how exactly does that work? Romans 12, verse 1. Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now listen to this. He says, do not be conformed to this world. 
Teenagers, listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world. College students, hear me on this. Do not be conformed to this world. Those of you in midlife crisis, don't miss this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we say do not be conformed to this world, I love J.D. Phillips' translation of that verse. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't look like the world. Don't care about the world's image. So maybe the question on the runway of the Grammys is after all the right one. Who are you wearing? What is the image that you wear before God? He said, you shall not make for yourself an idol a graven image, a carved shadow, or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. Let's pray. Father, I am I'm so attracted to physical things. So caught up in the look of this world. And we see again a theme re-emerging here in Scripture. We saw it over and over in the book of Genesis. And now again it comes clearly back to mind that you want to break us of the physical and develop in us the spiritual. To remove, Lord, the flesh and all the images of the flesh and to leave us standing clean and pure before your image, which is not bound up in something we see. But Jesus, you said... Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. So God, this morning, I pray that you will give us eyes to see, hearts to see your true image. And Father, that you would begin to express that image in our lives and in our hearts. Not in any way, shape, or form, Father, that we believe we could be godly or or gods ourselves. But to reflect you to aspire to you Father to seek to be conformed to the image of your son Jesus an image so beautiful and so perfect that's our heart's cry Father holiness and righteousness faithfulness these things that are not of the flesh but are solely and completely of your spirit Jesus' name. Amen.